Blog Talk Radio. Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today we're going to be covering Chapter 5 of As It Is Translated Correctly, pages 53 through 59. The title of the chapter is called Lost Books of the Bible. We'll dedicate the program and we'll begin the reading after the dedication. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We thank thee this day, Father, for all that thou hast done for us. For teaching us the fullness of the everlasting gospel. For teaching us the mysteries of thy kingdom, at least in part. We thank you, Father, that you are gathering out a remnant to carry thy work into the millennium, to be prepared to redeem Zion in this these last days. We know that our numbers are few, but we know that with your strength and your blessing, that we will come through and see the light on the other end of the tunnel. That though we are nothing in the sight of the world, that you will lead us in the highways of the top of the mountains and in the desert places. That you have prepared a refuge for us. That we may go into the wilderness and into the desert while Babylon destroys itself. That we may be able to prepare to receive the fullness of the priesthood, that we might do all that you have commanded, and that we might know by revelation the truth that only you have, as we are given revelation and we do not rely on books or upon the words of men but become prophets in thy sight. I know that you are preparing many people at this time, though they be few in number compared to the, to the populations of the earth, that you know all of us. You know every hair on our head. You know all of our strengths and all of our weaknesses. Father, I know that I am nothing, that I am just a mortal man upon this earth, and that my life can be taken away at a moment's notice, that my job and my 
family and my home can all be taken away. But I know, Father, if I am faithful to your commandments, that I will be blessed beyond measure and come through victorious on the other side because of the atonement of thy Son, Jesus Christ. That this world is but a fleeting moment, but your life is eternal. And as we choose to make our lives into your life and become servants in thine hand, we know that the gift of eternal life can be ours. Not because of what we have done, but because you freely give it to us, those who are obedient unto your word and your revelation. We love thee, Father, and we thank thee for the opportunity at this time to read this book as it is translated correctly and talk about the lost books of the Bible. And we thank thee, Father, for the opportunity to record these words in this podcast and to do this live broadcast, though there be few that listen, that we might consider some things that are true and that we might consider these things and that we might ponder over them and receive revelation if it be thy will and if it be the will of the listeners that we should receive revelation and understand mysteries and maybe understand just the history of where we get our scriptures from and how things have been tampered with and lost throughout the ages. One thing that I have learned, Father, since you called me by your own voice to be your witness, in my many hours of study and prayer, how much confusion and darkness is in this world that we are in gross darkness, as the scripture says. And any light that we see that comes from thee is a miracle in and of itself. As we are surrounded by the lies of the adversary, the lies of history, the lies of mortal men and women upon this earth, that it is not by personal interpretation of scriptures that we can come to know you, but it is upon the rock of revelation that we can understand your ways and understand your truth. And though it be hard sometimes because we think that we're receiving answers from thee because it makes us feel good, that we do understand, Father, that the culture of our day and age makes us turn away from the truth. And there will be few, there will be that really find truth. Please forgive us, Father. We are unworthy in your sight. No man and no woman deserves your mercy or your love. 
but in your great kindness, in your overwhelming abundance of love, you love us anyway. We thank you so very much that you are not a tyrant, that you are not a deceiver, that you understand fully why we can learn so very much in this life, even if we are deceived. And that every life, every life, including the most tragic, has value in learning different parts of mortality and just even the suffering of this world we can learn in these things and that you oversee it all even when Satan rails against us you allow that to happen for our own good and when we are angry and we call out against thee for allowing these things to happen you forgive us in our ignorance I ask thee, Father, to forgive all who have ignorantly called out against you and cried out and asked, why do you allow these things to happen? And even though I don't understand all things, I know that you do, and I trust you. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so every once in a while I'm going to have to mute it to cough because this is a live program we're doing tonight. I'm just going to pull up the studio so I can keep an eye on that from time to time. I didn't tell anybody that we were doing this live program. Um, I haven't had my insulin. I got poisoned in 2009. Excuse me. I fell into a... uh, a frack pond in the oil field about four in the morning on November 9th or 11th, I can't remember, 2009. Or maybe it was 4 a.m. that I got out finally. Anyway, I was pulling this fluid off of the uh, out of this frack pond and I tripped and I fell and I was out there by myself and I got into this, these chemicals and um, I lost I was very very fat back then I was very large and I lost over 100 pounds of muscle and fat because I was an oil field worker so I was very strong but I uh, I enjoyed eating steaks and big dinners and Anyway, so um lost over 100 pounds in 30 days, and it completely solidified my gallbladder, so I don't have one of those anymore. And it caused my pancreas issues in my liver and my kidneys. And I've been dealing with diabetes for many years because of that um, unfortunate event because of the poisoning that happened. And um, I've been on insulin now for a while, and there was some 
mess with my uh, insurance and the doctors and all this stuff, and I haven't been on insulin for like two weeks. Um, but I've had this other medication that's been helping somewhat. I got my insulin tonight, and um, I took it finally after about two weeks. And I, uh, my blood sugar is up to 268, and so it is 11.44 p.m., on January 23rd, which is a Tuesday, and I have neuropathy, not to mention six bulging discs and one torn disc in my back and a bunch of other problems. But anyway, I couldn't sleep. So I thought, well, you know what? Over the last couple of weeks, every time I come home, I'm like so exhausted. I not this last stint, but the stint before that. So I I do 14-hour days, four days, and then I get off. But the 14-hour days that I did the time before last, I had to chin up like five times because I'm a my truck driver. And I had to throw triple rails all over eight drive tires five times that week. And... Um, I had to do some other stuff for the company because oil waxes in when it gets cold. It turns to this really waxy substance, especially if it's um, yellow crude that we haul. But even the black crude does it. And it's like, when I'm up there at night, it's like zero, um, 10 degrees maybe. Sometimes it's negative. So anyway, there was this really bad storm, and I was the second to, la- second to last truck to make it through before they completely closed the road down, and it was bad. And I got my load delivered, and I went back to the yard, and when I woke up, they had just opened the road, and these guys that had to sleep on the mountain, they had to uh, shelter in place. They, they couldn't move. They finally got them down off the hill, and... Um, they asked me to take these trucks over to the place where we transfer the loads onto trains. And they asked me to help get these loads unloaded because the uh, the valves and stuff where the oil is, it waxes up and it makes it so you can't unload them. And there's a special process, which I know how to do. It, it takes time. <clears throat> But anyway, I got a couple of these trucks unloaded, and then I had to go up and get another load myself, and then I had to chin up that night. Um, But anyway, it's just I was so exhausted last week, and I've been exhausted. The other thing, too, that is hard for me is I've got my family, and um, they're not up at night, but sometimes I'm just too tired to be up at night doing these things. Last time I had a podcast radio show or whatever. I haven't done a radio show for a long time like I'm doing tonight, but the last time I did a podcast, I um, I was yawning all the way through it, and I had been off for a couple of days, and I was just tired. And 
sometimes it takes me all four days to recover because of all of the injuries that I've sustained over the years and the medical issues that I have. Um, and even last week, it took me all four days to recover, but I was still hurting all week long because uh, I hadn't fully recovered from the week before that, the work week before that. So But you know what? I really enjoy my job. I think it's beautiful in the canyon. Even when there's avalanches, which do happen, mudslides, which do happen, crazy blizzards, crazy blizzards with windstorms, <laughs> like bad, big snowstorms. I just, I love it. I love the cold. I love driving with my windows down, uh, as long as it's not. If it's between, like, 0 to 10 degrees, I'll roll my window up some. If it's below 10, I mean 0, I, I'll have to roll it up most. I'll crack it a little bit just because I love that fresh, cold air. But it gives me a headache when it's that cold. Um, but I'm out in it, too, because uh, that's part of the job of being oil, an oil-filled truck driver. But... Um, I love my job. I've been a truck driver since 1994, technically. Um, I was homeless in 94, and my grandparents found me, and they were friends with somebody in Hamer, Hamer Idaho, which is just north of Idaho Falls a little bit. Um, that worked at Larson's Farming, and I had a, a, a regular a regular driver's license, not a commercial one at that point. I was, I think I was 17. I was 17, and I got hired on to do the, the potato harvest, and I was the only person on my crew that spoke English besides my supervisor. So I was working with all of these immigrants from Mexico or wherever they were from. They couldn't talk to me. I couldn't talk to them. I almost never saw my supervisor. We worked from 4 p.m. Let me think. I think I can't remember exactly. I think we got off at noon. And then we we started at 8 at night, and we did that six days a week. I think it was 8 at night. <clears throat> Excuse me. 8 at night to um, on Sunday night till noon for six days. And then on Saturday, we would finish at noon, and then we would get off till 8 o'clock at night the next day. I think that's how it worked. Anyway, after that harvest was over, I went to Job Corps in Clarefield, Utah, and I became a diesel mechanic because I've always wanted to drive a truck. At my Class A CDL there, I worked in the diesel mechanic shop after I went to school there, and then I got a job driving produce. Um, I went on a mission. And when I came home, I went over the road as a truck driver, and it's 
pretty much all I've done ever since. And I, I love this job so much. And I know this is a big old tangent from what I'm going to be getting into tonight. But for those of you who don't know what's going on in my life, I'm just trying to let you know that, yes, I am still doing these. In fact, I just put my credit card information in just before this show to pay the $400 to keep the show going for a year. So I've got it going for another year until January 23rd of 2025. So even though I might not be able to do as many shows as I used to do, I'm still going to try to put them out there weekly. Um, And, you know, there's going to be times when I'm not able to. But anyway, (coughs) excuse me. Let me just get into this book. Lost Books of the Bible, Chapter 5 of As It Is Translated Correctly, pages 53 through 59. Oh, by the way, um, my kids lost my cell phone that I usually do the recordings on. So usually what I do is if I have to cough or anything, I push a pause button. And then I'll go, I'll push play again after I'm done coughing or I take a drink or something, or I have to take a break for a minute. But this is a live program, so I will try to cut out the coughing, but it's probably not going to work very well for tonight. Let's see here. We'll see how it all works. All right. Although we have 66 books in our Bible, there are many others that are missing, some of which are mentioned in the existing scriptures, but no one seems to know what happened to them or why they were not included as part of our Bible. Many of these lost books are reported to be the words of God to some of his faithful prophets and patriarchs, so we must conclude that they are of great worth and would qualify to be considered as scripture. It can also be concluded that there are many other missing books also inspired, not mentioned in the Bible. It is, previ- it is obvious that wars, migrations, poor materials, persecution, and other pitfalls could have taken a great toll on many sacred and important texts of God's revelation to man. As explained by one scholar, quote, The Jews have been at some times careless and negligent, and at other times profane. They suffered some of the sacred books to be lost to their carelessness, and have burnt and destroyed others. And that is the opinion of St. Chrysostom as quoted by Simon's Critical History of the New Testament. The perils of book burning have not been confined to dark ages of Christianity, but have apparently taken their toll since the beginning of mankind. And I just have to say real quick, God gives us free agency. He allows these things to happen. But even though we've lost scripture and we've lost these records, we still haven't open link to God and the Bible and the scriptures that are revealed to us in these days they tell us that there is a God but they are only to get us 
to learn to turn to him, to pray to him, to receive personal revelation from him. That without personal revelation, we trust in the precepts and the interpretations of men. We need to turn to God to learn truth from him. And even though somebody comes out and says, hey, I'm somebody, you know, I'm a prophet, preacher, uh, apostle, I am a prophet, seer, and revelator. I am the one mighty and strong. I am the divinic servant. They might be wrong. They might be right. Whatever, it doesn't matter because you have to have a relationship with your father that you should not have a file leader to tell you how to do something or what to do. But they might teach, but ultimately it's up to you to go to God and find out the truth make sure that the the interpretation of scripture or the interpretation of of doctrine that you're not getting that from man man that you're getting that from god cursed are all they who trust in the flesh and that doesn't that doesn't um that means everyone everyone is cursed when they trust in any flesh I, I love it in Doctrine and Covenants. I think it's section 76 where it says there, these are some of one, some of another. One of the people that, that are part of the terrestrial kingdom, some of Christ. And why is he in there like that? We trust Christ. We believe in Christ and all those things. But they learn the precepts of, of men who read scriptures and tell other people how things are. They don't they do not go to the next level where they actually go to God. See God would that all of his children were prophets. God is no respecter of persons. God wants us to turn to him individually, not through a file leader, not through some strong man, but he wants us to turn to him. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. He wants his Holy Spirit to testify of truth as we come to the light of knowledge and we receive revelation and he teaches us and guides us. We can know truth from him and not from any other. Not from a strong man or woman. Not from a leader. Not from emotionalism or cultural culturalism. There are so many that are leading people in their different paths. And these people who are leaders might be well-meaning. Some of them are not. It doesn't matter how well-meaning they are. If they're not teaching you to go to God and to get revelation for yourself and showing you how they've done it, then don't listen to them. But I'll tell you this, there are false shepherds out there who are teaching people how to receive revelation, but they're doing it in the wrong way. So you can't trust anyone. Curse for all they who trust in the flesh. You can hear what people have to say, and if you believe it, 
go to God and say, this is what I was taught. I've pondered over it. I think that it's true. Let me know that it's true through a witness of your spirit. And if the spirit testifies the truth of it, then you can know that that, that is the path that you need to be on at this time. Now, I don't know how people get so deceived. I think it might be laziness. I I don't know. I maybe I'll just keep my personal opinions to myself, but um there can be an emotionalism that is deceitful as well. Because you want something to be true so badly that you work yourself up into a frenzy so that you can receive, so that you can get that spirit. I've seen this in the Pentecostal churches and other churches like that where people work themselves up into a frenzy and they think it's the Holy Spirit. It is not. We live in very difficult times as far as spiritual witnesses are concerned because though God has opened up the veil of heaven to some, he's given Satan equal liberty to open up manifestations and miracles and all kinds of different things, but they come from a dark source. And it's hard. It's hard to know if you're being led astray by some individual who proclaims to be a prophet but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Anyway, I'm going off on these tangents. Anyway, Belor listed some of the books and references showing that they could or should have been included in the Bible. We're on page 54 if you're reading along. And the, the link to the um, to where the book is, I'll, I'll provide that when I edit everything after I do the show. The Prophecy of Enoch. Quote, and this is from the book of Jude. And Enoch also, the son from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all, etc. Jude chapter 1, verse 14. Now, Jude chapter 1, verse 14 is in our Bible. But Enoch is not. Enoch was in the King James Version of the Bible into the 1800s, but they took it out for some reason. Now, one little thing about Enoch. There's actually three books of Enoch. There's the original one, there's second Enoch, and there's third Enoch. I would be careful with all three because there are people who have added many vain and foolish things into Enoch, many Gnostic things, which may be true, may not be true. You might have truth looking at you in the face, and you might interpret it wrong. This is why we have to get revelation for ourselves. Sorry, I am accidentally. Okay, sorry wrong button when I was going to cough. Anyway, um, but that's true with the Old Testament. 
the, even the Old Testament that we have in our Bible, there's so many flaws in it. Jesus told us when the good, rich, young ruler came and he said, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? He said, uh, what are, what's the greatest law and what's the second, whatever? Love God, love your neighbor like in yourself. This is the law and the prophets. Now let me tell you, for those of you who follow Torah, and I know that there are listeners out there who really follow it. If it doesn't line up with what Jesus said the law is, then it is a vain and foolish imagination added to scriptures by by people who are in authority mainly Josiah, and I know the Jews love Josiah, and you know, the scriptures love Josiah too, but it's just interesting because the victors are the ones who talk about themselves. Josiah was killed by a piercing arrow um, when he was 21, I think. Oh, and it was just this, and I've heard the rabbis, oh, it was so tragic, whatever. God allowed that arrow to pierce him in his heart. And he bled out and died later that day after the battle. This uh, this battle with King Nebo, who was a prince, prince of Egypt, or king of Egypt. That didn't happen by chance. That was a punishment because of what King Josiah was saying. Now, God gives free agency for people to do things. And they screw some stuff up royally with their free agency. But there's also a wrath of God that comes down upon the wicked. And King Josiah was a wicked ruler. He took the book of the law of the Lord that they found in the temple and convened a council of, of rabbis and high priests. And they determined what we're going to add and take away from the Torah before it was given to the people. One of the reasons why there were so many prophets who were fighting against Jerusalem before the Babylonian captivity is that those prophets were all part of something called the School of the Prophets. And they had preserved the true Torah, the one that David had the one that Moses had, the one that was given from, from on top of the mountain. They had the true Torah. It had been so corrupted by the time of Jesus that he couldn't, he couldn't tell the people, because they weren't ready to hear it, about all of the corruption in the Torah. He simply said these key things. Love God with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law or the Torah and the prophets. If it has to do with anything else, it is not part of Torah. I see some people who wear kippahs. Kippah is not part of Torah, but these messianics want to want to wear the, the kippah and, the, and all of the things that are just traditional Judaism, that it, they weren't even part of the time of uh, when Christ was on the earth. But there are women who are put aside during their monthly cycle 
And if you are a man and you sit in a, in, in, on a chair that a woman who has had her monthly is in the process of having her monthly cycle, then somehow you're dirty. It is foolishness. It is foolishness that King Joseph and others said that you cannot sleep with your wife if she is in her period, her time of the month, or you're unclean. Does it go along with love God with all your heart, mind, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? What closer neighbor do you have than your wife or your husband? The things that Josiah added to the Torah are an abomination. And because the people took it up and would not listen to the true prophets who are part of the school of the prophets who have the true Torah, God allowed the wrath of Babylon to come down upon them. That's why Babylon was destroyed. That's why so many prophets rose up before the Babylonian captivity and tried to bring the people back to repentance. But even the history that we have from them has been altered by other people. This world is in true darkness. True darkness from the top to the bottom, from the west to the east. And the only way we can escape from darkness is to turn to God and turn to his light and receive revelation from him. And as we do so, the world's going to think we're mad, that we're crazy. The Christians, the Jews, the Muslims, the atheists, it doesn't matter. They all think we're all crazy. But we have truth from the one whose truth it is to give. Scripture is not for private interpretation. It comes from God, and it is his interpretation to give, not ours to make. Continuing on, scriptures before Abraham. The modern Christian world think that Moses was the first prophet to write scripture or to write the law of the gospel among men. However, Paul understood differently when he said, quote, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. So Abraham had the gospel. From this, it is evident that someone wrote scripture before Abraham's time, When Abraham read them and believed that gospel, he was convinced that God would justify the the brethren through faith. Samuel's own book. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 25. Excuse me, I was just thinking about this thing about Abraham. You know Abraham's before Moses, right? Moses wrote the scriptures. That's where we get the Pentateuch from, or the uh, Septuagint, or the the Torah, the five books of of scripture. But there was scripture back in the days of Abraham. 
but we didn't have that scripture had been destroyed at that point. We still don't have that scripture. See, just showing that in Galatians chapter uh, 3, verse, verse 8, it shows that we don't have all that God has written. This whole sola scriptura thing is complete hogwash. This comes from people who tell you not to look at anything else. Do you know who else tells you not to look at anything? Satan. He tells you not to pray. He tells you not to think. He tells you not to ponder. He tells you to go away from God, not go towards God. Anyway, get back, getting back to this thing about Samuel's own book. This is Samuel's record of the kingdom, and it would have been very interesting and re- a very interesting and revealing book. Shemaiah, the prophet, book of Edu, the seer. Now the act of Rehoboam, first and last, are they not written in the book of Shemaiah, the prophet, and Edo the seer concerning the genealogies? And this is, is referenced in Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 15. We're on page 55, at 26%. The book of Shemaniah, Shemahiah, is one of the book, books of the prophets. When were the writings of prophet, a prophet considered unworthy of being kept? It is not every revelation, is not every revelation through one prophet just as important as another prophet? This book undoubtedly contains many important things pertaining to genealogy as subject to confusing and troublesome to the Protestant ministers today. I think I need to read that again. This book undoubtedly contained many important things pertaining to genealogy, a subject so confusing and troublesome to the Protestant minister today. The book of Nathan, the the prophecy of Ahijah, the vision of Edu the seer. Now the rest, this is uh, also Second Chronicles 9.29, now the rest of the Acts of Solomon, first and last, are they not written in the book of Nathan the prophet and in the prophecy of Ahijah the Sh- Shilonite and in the visions of Edu the seer against Jeroboam the son of Nebat? And that's the end of that quote, Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 29. These, bu- these books must show or explain many things recorded from prophecy and in visions. They were probably very important and sacred, perhaps more so than many of the other books of the Bible. The book of Samuel the seer, the book of Nathan the prophet, the book of Gad the seer, Quote, now the acts of King David, first and last, behold, they are written in the, the book of Samuel the seer, and in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer. That's in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 29. 3,000 3, Proverbs of Solomon. Quote, and he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were a thousand and nine. First Kings chapter 4, verse 32. 
Obviously, we have only a small portion of the Proverbs of Solomon. If some of them were worthy of being coming scripture, why not all of them? It is evident that they have been lost, even though they would have been a great compliment to the rest of his Proverbs. We're on page 56 at 42%. Another epistle of Paul to the Corinthians states, Paul wrote in here. Okay, Paul wrote in the first epistle to the Corinthians. Uh, to the Corinthians, I wrote, I wrote you an epistle not to company with fornicators, and that is is in what we would call First Corinthians chapter five verse nine. But he's saying he's written something previous to this. So First Corinthians should actually be considered Second Corinthians, and Second Corinthians should be considered third at least. From this, we know that there was a first epistle to them was actually the second letter. Basically, what he's saying is what I just said. The one that we have that we call the first is actually the second. This epistle was undoubtedly just as important as the other two, but it has been lost. The epistle to the Laodiceans, I think I said that right, kind of, Quote, and when this epistle is read among you, cause that it should be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So he's saying you need to read this other epistle that I sent to Laodicea. And that's in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. So he sent a letter to Colossians, to the Colossians, and he's saying, you need to read this also to the Laodiceans, and you need to read the letter that I sent to the Laodiceans. But we don't have the letter to the Laodiceans. Continuing on with the reading, the epistle of Colossians and the epistle to the Laodiceans were both important since Paul wanted them both read to the congregation. We only have one letter to the Colossians. Therefore, the epistle to, the, to Laodicea is one of the missing scriptures. Second epistle to the Ephesians. Quote, and this is from Ephesians 3, verse 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote for a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul alludes to another epistle to the Ephesians in which he mentions revelation then he ha that he had received from God. Would not that revelation be as important as other revelations that he had received? or as important as other any other or any revelation to the other apostles. And remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So my four year old son is uh, awake. He just came upstairs. Um, he sleeps in the basement with his brother. He has a bedroom upstairs, but he loves sleeping with his brother. So anyway, I guess he heard me walking around up here and decided to come upstairs. Now he is showing me what he has been drawing on his Etch-a-Sketch. Arius, I'm doing a radio show, and I'm live right now, okay? 
I'm reading. If you want to listen to me read, you can listen to me read. But I can't be looking at that, okay? I'll be done in a while. I know I'm not going to draw, though. <laughs> he wants me to play his actual sketch. He's four. And he's part of the reason why I do these in the middle of the night. But usually he's asleep, not awake. Arius, I've got to do this, okay? I love you, but don't interrupt me, okay? Okay. Where's Emmett? He's sleeping. Why aren't you sleeping? Oh, he says, because I don't love sleeping. <laughs> okay, anyway, I'm reading this, so you need to be quiet, okay? All right, this is another epistle of Jude, which is mentioned in Jude chapter 3. Beloved, when I gave all the diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude chapter 3. So now we're in on page 57 at 57%, interestingly enough. Since we have only one epistle of Jude, wouldn't the other be concerning the common salvation which concerns the common which is concerning the common salvation. So he's talking about this other thing where he talks about the common salvation, right? Be just as important as this one. The pseudepigrapha. I know I said that wrong. Basically, it means, I think, fake books, but I'm not sure. I, I've heard the expression before. I've heard the word before. I've heard the definition of the word before. It's in the middle of the night. I'm the greatest. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to define it. From the New Oxford American Dictionary, pseudepigrapha, spurious or pseudonymous, pseudonymous writings, especially Jewish writings, ascribed to various biblical patriarchs, and prophets, but composed within approximately 200 years of the birth of Jesus Christ. Okay, so, like, there's a bunch of people who are saying that all these books are pseudepigrapha, that we had the first book of Isaiah, or the first author of Isaiah, the second and the third author of Isaiah. This is secular scholars who are putting out these lies because they don't like the fact that Isaiah prophesied truth. You know, I don't talk about other people very often, but John Hamer is a very knowledgeable man. But there is not an ounce, as far as I can see, of faith within him. He is all full of knowledge with no spirit. He believes the academic lies that he has been told by other people that just... Um, Oh, well, this, this archaeology, these scholars say these things, and I never hear a word of revelation from him. I never hear a testimony. I, it's just, uh, and he, if you want to listen to his, his uh, pro program, it's called Beyond the Walls on YouTube. Hold on. Arius, 
go get a spoon and I'll open one of them for you, okay? All right. Show me yogurt. Probably shouldn't be giving him yogurt in the middle of the night, but he is awake. So am I, so. Anyway, but, like, there's these individuals out there, very, very intelligent. Arius, I'm doing this. You need to be quiet. They're very, very intelligent in the ways of man, but they do not know God's truth. They will scoff, and maybe not John Hamer, but maybe they will scoff at the revelations of prophets like myself because whatever, like they don't believe in revelation, but they'll run these churches. And John Hamer is like a 70, I think, in the community of Christ. They're just going to do their own thing. And I'm pretty sure that there's others who actually do believe in in receiving confirmation of the Spirit and all of that within the, the community of Christ. But this leader of theirs is very, very, very academic. He is a very smart man. And I've been listening, and I've even spoken to him face-to-face. But he has no light in him. He gets his self-worth from his knowledge, not from God. And from those who look up to him for his knowledge, not from God. In my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong about the guy. I don't think I am, though. I've listened to enough. And I'm not talking about... I've literally listened to hundreds of hours of his Centerpoint uh, meetings uh, throughout the years. And I enjoy them. At the same time, they kind of drive me insane. But I am interested in academics as well. But anyway. All right, the Pseudepigrapha. Another group of manuscripts written between the years 200 B.C. and 100 A.D. has been found in recent years. They consist of seven books covering a range of subjects from the creation of the Christian era. These have been published under the titles of Forgotten Books of Edith. These manuscripts have been found in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Some handed down, while others were found in archaeological excavations. Some copies have variations from other manuscripts, but their messages are similar. A few summary statements about each of these books is included here. The Books of Adam and Eve. The story begins after the expulsion from paradise and involves a variety of legends and religious concepts. It gives a very positive emphasis on the resurrection and the final judgment. The Book of the Secrets of Enoch. This collection of psalms, histories, and quotations from Enoch. The Odes of Solomon. This is an early Christian compilation, first published in 1909, but is mostly a book of poetry and many beautiful expressions of reverence and love. The Letters of Aristius. This was written by a Hellenized or Greek Jew living in Egypt, probably Alexandria. It gives some light on how the Septuagint manuscripts of the Bible came to be written. We're on page 58. That's 
The fourth book of the Mac of Maccabees. This covers the events of the Sire. Syrian persecution of the Jews and the Maccabean revolt. It covers the ability to deal with and conquer the passions. And real quick about that one, this is a very, very, very small little excerpts that kind of tell you a little bit about these things, but it in no way goes into the the breadth and the depth of these scriptures. Remember that the Festival of Lights is not one of God's holy, sacred holidays, but Jesus still observed it. And we do too. My, my family, we observe. When I'm off, I don't take the time off for it, but because um, I can't, because I'm an oil field worker. Anyway, but um, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, that was during the Festival of the Lights, which you would call Hanukkah, Hanukkah, or where they uh, they do the uh, the nine Hanukkah candles, whatever, one for each day in the Shemesh. Anyway, some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you don't. But like, that's a celebration of what happened with the Maccabees. You know what? It's a good story to read. It it shows the faith and the perseverance of people who are not going to be pushed around by Babylon the Great and who God gave a miracle to. All right. The story of Ahekar, or Haikar. This one is probably the earliest manuscript of the culture. It was first found in some... An Aramaic papyri dated back to the 5th century BC on an island of Elephantine in the Nile. It has a collection, both Jewish and pagan lore, and gives each credence to homage to honorable earthly rulers, a tenant of objectionable, a tenant objectionable to the Jewish community who insists that only homage to God will bear merit. The testimony of the twelve patriarchs. This is of much interest because it contained early Christian attempts to rewrite Jewish tracts. Some of this predate Paul. Some of these predate Paul. The most interesting is the fact that the ver- some versions of this have appeared in the Dead Sea Scrolls, similar to other manuscripts. They contain much about the struggle between good and evil, good works, compassion, etc. Although these works have never been considered worthy of a place in the Bible, they do give some insight into Jewish and early Christian thought. There are also many historical events in the life of Christ of which we have no knowledge. John said many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. John chapter 20, verse 30. Arius, I need you to turn that down or go over there or something away from me, okay? Those events would be of tremendous importance and worth to us now, but they are lost. The Apostle, John the Apostle, gives further enlightenment 
on the loss of many teachings and important events in the life of Christ. And this is on page 59, which is the last page of this chapter. You know, I can't even tell you what the live call-in number is anymore. Oh, wait, maybe I can. It's 917-889-8827. I remember it. I've said it so many times. I just haven't done a live radio in so long. 917-889-8827 is a Manhattan area code number in the United States of America. If you are calling or would like to call, the country code is 11, I think, plus 11. I don't know how to do that. Anyway, country code's 11, and it's 917-889-8827. And you can call with a landline. You can call with your cell phone, but you can also call with Skype. People do that sometimes. So, Anyway, and there is a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon which is where I am doing these programs from tonight, this way, radio show. And there might be people listening. I don't know. I'm not looking in the studio. But when I'm done with this, if there are people in the chat or people have called in, I will uh, bring them on to hear what they have to say. So. There are also many other, uh, other things which Jesus did the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. John chapter 21, verse 25. And this is on page 59, like I said, 87%. Um, you know, I look at this in a different way than what most people would look at this. Like, people think, oh, in the, the, the 33 years or whatever it was that Jesus lived, he did so many things that, like, we can't even number them all. I go a little bit further back than 33 years from the time of his death. Because there is so much more to this man than you even begin to possibly imagine. So much more experiences that he has gone through, not, not in this world, but in the pre-existence, there's so much that can be written, so much. And John knew it, and I know it. And um, it's going to be fun when those of us who come into glory are able to have the veil taken from our minds to see the truth as it is, and not darkly as we see it now, as Paul talks about it's going to be so fun. I'm, I'm going to be so elated at that time. Because God has shown me many things, a lot more than many people, concerning who Jesus was, who I am, who Lucifer was before he became Satan, who our father was, who Jehovah was, who Adam on men is. Like, I've been shown a lot, but even that, pales in comparison compared to what stories there are to know. And I am blessed to have heard from the Father and been shown in visions with my eyes and in spirit and with instruction from our Father so many different things. But even all that I have been shown isn't, it's nothing compared to the stories that are, will be told. That we 
remember when the veil has been pulled back, that we will learn when the veil has been pulled back, and it's going to be so amazing when we get to that point. But we're in this dark and dreary loneliness or wilderness right now, so there is, a, and you know what, Joseph Smith, I believe that he saw these things too, the things that I've seen. Maybe he's seen more, maybe he's seen less, I don't know, we're not in a competition. But he did say that anyone can be shown the things that he, and be taught the things that he has been taught. God is no respecter of persons. And I believe, I believe that's true, but people can be deceived too. So when God shows me all these things, I think to myself, well, this is really nice, but it doesn't, like, as far as I, well, I'm glad he's shown me these things, but does it have to do with my own personal salvation? Does it have to do with Zion's redemption? I am thankful for what God, and maybe he just wants some of the truth to be known because there have been so many twistings and lies that have been um, put out there about him and about the, everything. But I think he wants some of the truth to be known. But like, we need to be laser focused on first loving God with all our heart, might, mind, and strength following the gospel, living the gospel, loving our neighbors ourselves. And then after that, when we learn to do all that God has commanded, becoming the tools in God's hands that bring about the redemption of Zion upon the earth. And that will be done with prophets. Will be one done with the fullness of the priesthood, and that will be done with truth, not error, not darkness. We're going to have to work these things out eventually. It'll be done in the school of the prophets. It'll be done with revelation, and every man and woman can get revelation for themselves. And it's going to be a process. So let's continue on with this. There is a, ver a vast array of reasons for information and manuscripts to be lost. During 6,000 years, various texts and writings have been destroyed by every storm that man and the elements could bring upon them. It is fortunate that we have even the small portions of copies that we have. However, in recent times, the Lord has revealed to the prophet Joseph Smith another reason why the generation does not have some of these prophetic records. The Lord said in Doctrine and Covenants, section 6, verse 26, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that there are records which contain much of my gospel, which have been kept back because of the wickedness of the people. See, they want to destroy these things. They want to destroy the truth. I learned something very interesting. Did you know that the, I think it was the grandson or the son of the Methodist preacher who, who was a preacher in the time of Joseph Smith in Palmyra, New York, was the one who started the Smithsonian Museums? That they are so hell-bent on proving Joseph Smith wrong and the Book of Mormon wrong that they will destroy 
evidence, any evidence they find, and that if they can't destroy like the Michigan, uh, the Michigan, um, oh, what are they called? The Michigan stones um, or the whatever, any evidence, they will do everything they can do to either call it out as a hoax or destroy it outright. These secularists are liars. This world is full of lies from top to bottom, from left to right. The whole world is in dark, dark, gross darkness in error because the levers of power are held by men and women who proclaim to be uh, true, who proclaim to have power, who proclaim to be prophets, who proclaim to whatever, and, and God allows us because of free agency in this world is dark. It is so very dark. That's why we have to, in the darkness, seek the light of God. But you cannot trust any man or any woman or any man or woman who has ever lived, including those in the scriptures. Because you can come to an interpretation in the scriptures and it is written out by one of the prophets or even Jesus Christ himself. And your interpretation about what he is trying to say will be false and you will still be trusting in a man, not trusting in God. That's why some um, who are followers of Jesus go to lower degrees of glory. Because they trust without receiving revelation. When Jesus says, may have come to me and, and I don't know them, I, actually he said that they don't know him. Depart from me, you never knew me. And why did they know him? Because they didn't ever have that personal relationship. They, they never developed um, the ability to receive revelation. And revelation you start with small things and it's like the gym you have to start with small weights but if you keep pressing forward keep asking he will reveal things to you and when he reveals things to you you can say heavenly father i believe this is from you help me to know by the power of the spirit by the burning of the bosom and you will know and there will be times when you receive revelation but it's not from the right spirit and Go to God and you say, Heavenly Father, I believe that these things are true. I believe this is from you, and the Spirit will withdraw from me and uh, withdraw from you, and you will be left to the buffeting of Satan. And the Spirit will leave you, and you have the opportunity to repent of believing in false doctrines and turn back to God in the name of Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness for believing in false doctrine and ask him to show you the truth and then continue to study sometimes the greatest visions that I've ever been shown is when I have studied it out to the best of my ability and I was wrong I was wrong and I've said Heavenly Father 
I don't understand. I know that this thing that I believed is in that, please help me to understand it. And sometimes I'll receive a revelation in my mind, sometimes in my ears, sometimes face to face, sometimes in the spirit as I'm taken up and I'm shown things and the Father is explaining it to me in my ear. But I didn't get to that point by never asking any questions. And I asked people questions too, but I turned to God. One of the things that has been great about my life is after my mission, I had nowhere to go except for a semi-truck. And for years, I drove around this country, and I met strangers, and I did not see the same people very often. I had no one to go to. I went to different churches every week. I went all over North America, different churches, LDS churches, Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches. I met probably thousands of people. In that, well, actually, not probably, very definitely thousands of people in that time, all from different denominations, from different backgrounds. But I can never go to anybody and say, this is my I, bishop or Sunday school teacher who knows more than me. Like, I would sometimes, like, I, I mean, I, a lot. I would read books and I would listen to audio cassettes. Back then, we didn't have CDs a lot. We did have some CDs. Anyways, I listened to these audio programs, but then I would go to God. After I heard all these things, I would go to God. I'd be interested in something, and I'd write it down in my journal, and I'd focus on the thing, and I would try to learn, and I'd be sitting in a dock getting loaded or unloaded or waiting for a load or a truck stop or whatever, and if I was now pounding the pavement, meeting people, I was in the sleeper studying and reading and praying and asking God the truth of there. And that semi-truck, those semi-trucks that I drove during that time for my over-the-road truck driving experience, that was a temple. Because I had the most powerful experiences that I have ever had in my life during that time period of my life. But it started with curiosity and it started with questions. And it didn't start with trusting people. It started with knowing that I had a Father in Heaven who loved me very much and I could go to Him to, to learn truth and that He would teach me here a little and there a little until I got to the point where I could withstand grow a great deal of things. And I, He showed me so much. But that's the path. Don't expect for God to just show you some truth, like all this big old magnificent truth. And the other thing, too, if you are trapped in a system of false doctrine and you believe lies, you're going to have to do what I eventually had to do, where I had to throw it all down and say, what do I absolutely know is true? What do I absolutely know? I know that God the Father lives and that he loves us with a love that is beyond words to describe. I know that Jesus Christ lives and that he paid for our sins 
in the Garden of Gethsemane and upon the cross and that he was raised on the literal third day, not a day and a half later, that he broke the bands of death. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that Joseph Smith is the prophet of the restoration. But just because Joseph said certain things doesn't mean that what the interpretation is that I take from it is correct. That just because Jesus said certain things, I need to go to the Father and ask for revelation, ask for a confirmation of the Spirit. Even when I receive, thus saith the Lord, revelations from the Father, which I have done many times, where he has sat down and he says, or he's told me to sit down and write, write some things down, and I write. I have to go back over it and make sure that what I'm hearing from him, that I'm getting the correct interpretation. It is a process. It is a, a great deal of a process. These people who just write revelations, like I'll stop and I'll say, Heavenly Father, what does this mean? Or I believe this is what you're telling me. Am I getting it right? And he'll explain it to me. A loving father would to a toddler. Because really in actuality, I'm nothing. I need him to help me in each step. Because it is just as dark in this world for me as it is for you. And there's many lies that are trying to persuade me this way or that to, to go away from truth. We need his guidance. We need that personal relationship with him. So you don't have to hear a man like me tell you the truth. That you can hear these things, but then you can go to God and get revelation for yourself. And make sure the interpretation that, like, when I receive interpretation or when I hear of some teaching of a prophet or apostle or whatever, I still go and I say, this is what I believe is truth and what that is, and what is being said. And it is by the power of the Holy Ghost that we can know the truth of all things. So we should not trust in the flesh because there is a curse that comes along with that. All right. Uh, let me see here. Okay. Today's Christian believes that he has all the scriptures that was ever given to man. This is the soul of scriptura, people. He believes that the Bible is complete and that God and that God has given all that he intends to give. The modern Christian couldn't receive any more scripture because of his creeds, because his creeds forbid it. Thus, ignorant and shallow thinking 
have prevented multitudes of people from enjoying more enlightening and important scriptures for these latter days. So the next chapter I'll be going over when I cover this book again will be chapter 6, the Song of Solomon and the book of Joshua. So now I only have 10% left on my battery. But we're going to go and I'm going to refresh my, my studio and I doubt that there is going to be anyone at all. Nope, there is not. Which is why I don't do lives anymore, really. Like, what's the point? Like, very few people ever call, and even when I announce that I'm going to be doing this. But let me look in the studio chat room. And there's nobody in there either, so that's fine. All right, well, let's see here. I haven't... Yeah, I think we're just going to be done with the program for tonight. I'll play the ending music. And uh, thank you for listening. Those of you who do listen, uh, thank you. Those of you who haven't called in tonight but are listening live, and thank you for those who listen in the future in the podcast. And I'll try to get this recorded and um, put onto YouTube so people can listen to it there. Um, one of the things that sucks about um, they shadow ban me and all the all the things, whatever. But they actually made it so I can't even post the radio show on Facebook anymore because they they say that it's blast uh, or I can't remember. They they make it so I can't post, and then they strike give me strikes and stuff. So I have to go through YouTube to record everything. It's just an extra part of the process, and it is a pain in the butt. So uh, if you are listening to this, the best way to listen to these things is actually on iTunes uh, by searching Zion's Redemption Radio Network and just listening to them when when they come out. So uh, you get them no matter if I've... uh, Hold on. No matter if I've... um, put them on YouTube or not. So anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. God bless. And goodbye. Thank you.